Hello, and welcome to the growing importance of technology in the current private equity landscape. A special, a special webinar session hosted by IQEQ and Real Deals. I'm your host this afternoon, Nicholas Neveling, and thank you very much for dialing in. Private equity has always been an industry where you have to press the flesh if you are to be successful, whether raising a fund or closing a buyout, buyout relationships and personal contact matter. It is perhaps for these reasons that private equity hasn't always been the fastest to digitalize and automate, but as the asset class has globalized, and indeed the COVID-19 pandemic has placed restrictions on travel and personal interaction that has been unprecedented for the buyout industry, the shift towards digitalization within private equity has accelerated. In today's broadcast, we are going to look into how the use of technology in private equity has evolved, ask whether the COVID-19 lockdown will mark a long-term shift in how the asset class operates in the future, and explore some of the practical considerations for managers who have had remote working suddenly thrust upon them and their teams. And to, and to discuss these topics, I'm joined this afternoon by five guests. My first guest is IQEQ's head of funds, Justin Partington. Justin leads his firm's global offering for alternative asset managers, and has extensive experience in the operation, delivery, and marketing of fund and, invest and investment administration. Uh, good afternoon, Justin. Lovely to speak to you this afternoon. Um, just a quick question to uh, kick us off. Obviously, we've all increasingly come to rely on digital services, video calls, and the like through the lockdowns that have been introduced in response to COVID-19. If we look at it strictly from an infrastructure point of view, is it in fact technically possible to raise and close a private equity fund working entirely remotely? Uh, thanks, uh, thanks, Nicholas. It's um, it, it's obviously a good question. The current environment, and I think we've seen our clients and uh, others in the industry approaching the technology slightly slightly differently. Uh, what we're finding is that uh, our, our clients who are using say video conferencing and Zoom calls, uh, you know, like the rest of us, uh, are using it to maintain relationships and to complete processes that they had started pre the COVID-19 COVID and pre-lockdown. Uh, but what we are hearing is that where there are either new uh, fundraisings or new deals for portfolio investment, that those really are not getting off the ground without that initial personal, sort of in-person first contact. So it's, it's something to, our, our clients and prospects are using technology to continue processes that were going on to, and to maintain relationships uh, but it's not quite enough to replace the sort of building of new relationships for the, for the first time. Uh, I think it has a couple of practical implications. So where we've seen um, uh, either clients doing a follow-on fund or a, a new side fund, it's, it's less likely they're going to get that away without, say, a, a large number of re-ups from existing investors who they know and can maintain relationships with. So there's a prospect of using perhaps starting smaller with a, a cornerstone or two they might have had from previous relationships and then expand uh, once the COVID situation returns a bit more to normal. And that might mean perhaps instead of a 12 or 18 month period to final close, perhaps longer periods, we might start to see 24 to 36 months to final close to allow time to come out of the current uh, situation and, and have a longer time to cl first close. And I think the, the other thing I'd mention is we're seeing some, some quite creative solutions in this area, including some virtual cap intro spaces where uh, rather than say just a, a one day event, they're going to be sort of spread over a period of time whereby you create a sort of safe space or water cooler space virtually for uh, trying to simulate that, that, that cap introduction or, or connections, which might today happen more informally um, in, a, in a technology based uh, solution to, to allow to drop in and, and uh, I guess a virtual version of what used to be chat rooms to try and enable some of those conversations to keep going and spark new ideas and new relationships. Justin, thank you very much. A really interesting um, setting of the scene, as it were, and I'm sure we'll, we'll come back to a lot of those um, themes again later in our discussion. Um, thank you, Justin. Uh, my second guest is Neil Meter, who is the CFO of the private equity business at Asset Manager DWS. Um, Neil runs the firm's finance and accounting function and works alongside the senior investment team 
to drive growth and shape financial best practice. Um, Neil, of course, was previously with Mayfair Equity Partners and also had a spell at Keyhaven Capital Partners, and he also sits on the BVCA Regulatory uh, Committee. Um, great to have you with us this afternoon, uh, Neil. Um, I'd mentioned earlier in my intro how important personal interaction is in private markets, and again, Justin has um, alluded to how crucial that is, um, especially when, when new relationships are being formed. Um, I just wanted to ask you how your organization has had to adjust in response to COVID-19 and how technology has helped the business to, to keep the wheels turning, as it were. Uh, thanks very much, Nicholas. Um, yes, well, I think, you know, we, technology has been critical in, in keeping the wheels turning. Um, we've all had to, um, you know, invoke business continuity procedures where, you know, I'm sure all of us on the panel today, you know, you know, we're all we're all working from home. We're, you know, we're having to we're having to deal with sensitive information. We're we're looking at you know internet internet based solutions for data sharing. There's been a number of number of different challenges, but you know, technology has been absolutely fundamental, and and we will move. You know, we will talk about you know some of the risks and concerns around these for certain of these areas. Um, for us, you know, keeping that personal interaction with you know, be it, you know, management teams, you know, underlying GPs, LPs, prospective LPs, you know, that, that's, that, that's continued through, you know, audio and video conferencing. That's become the new normal, as it were. Um, you know, there's, you know, we've had, we've had a number of sessions with, with, you know, particularly with LPs around the existing portfolio, about, you know, COVID, how that, you know, analysis around, around um, you know, the impacts, you know, assessing health risks of, key portfolio companies and liquidity concerns where we hear that, you know, bank lending is drying up. So, you know, we've, we've been able to maintain that, you know, that sort of personal contact through, through these, you know, video and audio conference mechanisms. Same, same goes with, you know, just keeping in contact with our team, you know, people on the ground, you know, weekly, weekly, twice weekly team meetings, um, you know, that these, these continue, these continue to occur. And again, all through the use of, you know, the technology that we all, that we all, you know, benefit from, you know, with, you know, the, you know, good internet speeds and, and good connectivity and, you know, looking, you know, looking forward, you know, to the summer and beyond where we're thinking about, you know, our AGMs again, you know, as part of keeping the wheels turning, we'll be, you know, we'll be looking at video conferencing solutions to be able to host, you know, our annual general meetings for, for, for the various funds. So these are, these are just some examples of, 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 you know, where, where we're seeing, um, or where we've been using, you know, these facilities, you know, webinars such as this one, fantastic for idea sharing, keeping your finger on the pulse. That's also very important as part of keeping the wheel turning. And just to make sure that, you know, you, you have got your finger on the pulse and you're keeping, you know, abreast of, of new developments in the industry, you know, things still continue to carry on. You know, we'll, we'll still keep ticking along. Documents, you know, they still need to be signed and, you know, we're seeing you know, e-sign type technology becoming, you know, the norm where, you know, wording and agreements, you know, regarding acceptance and validity of these, these signatures are, are, are very much, you know, in place. So, yeah, there are a number of areas where we've, where we've seen technology help us in our business. Um, Neil, thank you very much for those insights. Really interesting to hear how, how quickly firms have um, adjusted and, and are starting to use technology in new ways. Uh, the AGM point, very interesting, and maybe that's something we can come back to um, later. So yeah, thanks so much, Neil. Um, I'd now like to introduce our, our next guest this afternoon, who is uh, Rajan Shah, who's the finance director at 17 Capital. Um, Raj started his career as a finance professional in the technology industry before making the move across to, to alternative assets. Um, he had a spell at uh, Beaumont Capital before joining uh, 17 Capital in uh, 2012. Uh, good afternoon, Rajan. Really nice to have you here. Um, just a, a question that sort of follows on from some of the points that Neil mentioned. If we just take a step back from, from the current period of, of uncertainty, how was 17 Capital using technology um, in its firm prior to this crisis? And how does the use of digital tools by firms, you know, generally compare to to a decade ago. Cool. Well, thank you, Nicholas, and good afternoon. Um, I would say at 17 Capital, initially we set about with a best-in-class technology strategy, uh, whereby we purchased, procured, uh, and worked with technology providers that we felt were best in terms of providing a solution to our needs. We 
decided to mix this strategy with outsourcing some of the core functions. So for example, fund administration, bookkeeping, uh, and payroll to give you a few examples. And we expect that these outsourced service providers will have the skills and resources to implement a suitable technology stack to service us as, as a client. I would say our technology stack at 70 Capital is a mix of using Microsoft Excel and other tools we've invested in over the years. I would say this includes a CRM system. So we primarily use this for contact management, but also for capturing deal flow information, arranging events now, well, AGMs and marketing events, and also for fundraising purposes. We've also been working uh, and using a data room. So we use this to upload in a very secure way documents to be sent to our investors. Uh, we primarily send fund reporting, capital calls and distribution notices. Um, we've also been investing into an investor portal. So this is really to provide our investors with a dynamic and fully digital tool for them to be able to see sending capital fund performance data in a variety of ways uh, that they would not necessarily be able to capture through the standard reporting on a quarterly annual basis. Uh, we've also been working on and using OCR and automation technologies. So we've been able to streamline our employee cash and credit card expenses. And we're currently in the process of installing invoice OCR technology as well to complement our workflow. We've also been working, I would say, with uh, fund administrators and understanding their technology stack as well. Um, so certain areas like uh, waterfall calculation technology, uh, payment processing and approvals, and seeing where technology can play a key role, I would say, in, in terms of streamlining some of the existing manual processes. So what we are doing as a firm is pushing some of the technology initiatives in our industry onto our fund administrators to support us, because we believe they have the resources and expertise to carry out such a roadmap. One yeah. last point I just wanted to mention, um, if that's okay, Nicholas, is... Yeah, go ahead, yeah. When I started working privately over 12 years ago, I've seen a marked increase in conferences and seminars dedicating time to technology and what CFOs and CEOs should be thinking about. That's really a big change I've seen. Okay, thanks, Raj. And it certainly sounds like um, uh, 17 Capital is maybe a bit further up on the curve um, than, than some other firms have been, but certainly maybe after the, after the next couple of months, um, uh, people will be, uh, be adopting similar, similar measures. Um, which leads us on very nicely to, to our fourth guest this afternoon, um, private equity project specialist uh, Barnaby Piggott, who is the founding chief executive of private capital consultancy uh, Holland Mountain. Uh, Bonnaby's had uh, been working in private equity for, for more than 15 years and um, delivered projects for, for more than 50 private capital clients, um, some very good names on, on that portfolio, um, and is obviously very well versed in, in the application of technology to alternative asset business models. Um, welcome, Barnaby. Really nice to have you with us this afternoon. Um, so we've heard from, from Raj, from Neil, uh, from Justin, how PE firms are using technology uh, in-house. Um, but what I wanted to ask you was, was how, they, you know, how tools can start to be used with respect to, to portfolio management. You know, for instance, could we see um, reporting tools and technology applied to uh, portfolio companies and in a way that enables real-time reporting or, or, or something along those lines? Thanks, Nicholas. Um, thank you. Um, so, yeah, around portfolio monitoring, I think it's fair to say that most uh, firms uh, today have got some level of portfolio monitoring, you know, management and reporting in place. Um, you know, typically using a, one of the available portfolio monitoring solutions. Um, and that's typically, you know, collecting data in Excel spreadsheets at the moment and then sort of centralizing it, consolidating it, and then, and then the GP can use it for whatever purpose they need. I, I do think that is, um, we, we've got a few firms that we're talking to that are, that are looking at that and sort of saying that it isn't really adequate or fit for purpose. Um, that they want to go deeper and they want to go certainly more real time into, into their portfolio companies. You know, putting in hooks into their um, general ledger systems, their ERP systems, their finance systems. Yeah, you know, they, they want to be pulling data out, um, you know, more in, more in real time and, and pulling data out to sort of help with the decision making process. Um, that, that, that firm, you know, any, any of the decisions that need to be made for that firm. So, so I think, yeah, it's, it's fair to say that, um, you know, portfolio man monitoring and management solutions are in place today, but I think they will improve and they will get more real time um, over time. And I think this will be driven a lot by, um, you know, investor reporting demands. I mean, you've only got to look at the, the situation going on with COVID-19 and, 
you know, the data is pretty much you know, out of date and not really relevant to, to, to people that they're, they're reporting right now or at the end of March. Um, and so I think, you know, investors are going to demand more real-time information. And I think um, the GPs are going to need to look into how they, how they start to, to achieve that. Sorry, I <laughs> just lost my line there. Uh, Barney, just Barnaby, just quickly to pick on that, pick up on a point there. Um, how far do you think sure. um, you know the asset class generally is from from being able to deliver that that kind of real time reporting? Um, is there a lot of investment and in time, or is it something that can yeah, be I, I think I relatively think... quickly. Sorry. Yeah, I, I think um, I think at the moment these are going to be quite bespoke projects, but. You know, you've only got to look at the the finance solutions that are in place with the, with the portfolio companies. I mean, they are, you know, they're going to be your Microsoft NAVs, your NetSuite, your Sages, etc. So these are fairly standard. You know, certainly on the finance side, these are fairly standardised packages. So, you know, being able to build out the connectors and then centralise that information across all your portfolio companies and being able to look at it in more real time uh, is certainly very doable. It's not like all these systems are bespoke. Um, so I, I think over time it will become more standardised and more more. Uh, more easily available to, to firms. Okay, great. Thanks, Barnaby. Um, right. Well, it's also a pleasure to welcome uh, IQEQ's Hugh Stacey to this afternoon's program. Uh, Hugh is the executive director of the uh, IQEQ Investor Solutions business, which is a division dedicated to, to servicing the private markets portfolios of institutional investors with the latest uh, technological platforms. Um, he was previously a captain in the British Army before starting a career in alternative assets in uh, 2007 and um, is obviously well versed in um, in a lot of the solutions and, and, and tech options open to to managers. Uh, Hugh, good afternoon. Really nice to have you. Um, so circling back to the use of of technology by by private equity firms themselves to execute their their own operations, um, Raj pointed out that he has seen a big change. But from your point of view, um, how has technology changed and evolved the way GPs and LPs interact on a day-to-day -day basis? And, and what are the long-term implications of this for, for the GP-LP relationship? Thanks, Nicholas. Um, so, yeah, to, get, to answer your first part of your question, I think really as I think it's a, a general evolution of the asset class as it's become more mainstream, uh, the relationship between the GP and the LP has become more institutionalized. And what that has meant is that a lot of the fund managers are now looking at technology to improve the way they communicate, um, not only in terms of the, the quality and the content of the data, but also the frequency. So um, I think Barnaby touched on it um, a little bit earlier. You know, at IQEQ, with our Investor Solutions Division, we provide an end-to-end -end portfolio monitoring solution. And, and I think what Barnaby was saying was that a lot of it has to be pretty bespoke for that individual uh, fund manager. So, you know, initially we roll that out thinking this was going to be for internal consumption and analysis for the fund manager. Um, but more and more, and increasingly, especially with the current environment, we're having fund managers saying to us, can we allow our LPs access to this platform so they can see certain pertinent data points that we would like to share with them? Um, and I think so. I think this has been a bit of a catalyst in terms of the current situation. Um, but I, I think this is just um, it is a trend and it's a, a trend which isn't going to go away. And I think, um, you know, I think the frequency of reporting will change the um, how we report, how fund managers report to their investors will change as well. Uh, and that's all thanks down to, to technology. Yeah, Hugh, thank you very much. Uh, you know, again, really useful for, for setting the scene. Um, okay, so we've made our introductions. Um, I think we've outlined some of the key points that, that we're going to cover through, through the rest of this session. Um, and now I wanted to look into some of those points raised in, in a little bit more detail. Um, and, and, and the first thing I wanted to ask is, is how COVID-19 specifically could galvanize or, or be a catalyst for, for changing attitudes within private equity to technology uh, for good. Um, and Neil, if, if I could maybe come back to you um, on, on this specific point. You know, once we are through the, you know, the COVID-19 crisis, we're on the other side. Um, do you think that the way people have had to work through the lockdown will accelerate the use of technology by private equity you know, post-virus? I'm, 
I'm thinking, you know, will travel still be as frequent? Will GPs be be spending more time working from from home offices rather than, you know, than coming into their their main offices every day? I, I just wondered if it's something you've thought about, or, or whether in any way this this could, you know, accelerate the change towards more remote working or, you know, digitalization being more inherent in, in, in the way private equity functions day to day? Yeah, thanks, Nicholas. It's a really interesting question. And, and I think, you know, we've, I mean, we've all adapted over the last few weeks to, you know, remote working and, and, you know, making sure that we can still, you know, meet deliverables, meet LP demands, um, you know, meet our fiduciary duties. And I'm sure, I'm sure, um, a lot of you know private equity you know senior management teams out there will sit back and think about you know where can you know where can we focus our minds on creating efficiency you know perhaps you know generating more revenue or even looking at ways of saving cost um, you know and so I think um, you know coming back to this idea of remote working I reckon there are huge vast sums of rent that could be saved if if we were all to move, or some or certain firms, or maybe all of us were to move more towards hot desking, and 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 you know, and maybe not occupying such large offices and premises. I mean, we'll always need office space. We'll always, you know, that that personal face-to-face -face interaction, be it in the office or you know, going out traveling and meeting investors or you know, prospective management teams when you're looking at deals. You know, we, we, there will always be a need for you know, physical physical property and and um and and you know places to go but i do think that you know i do think there could be there, there could be ways of certainly saving cost um in terms of this hot desking idea um i i do wonder whether whether firms will actually think about you know whether you know again as part of the cost saving generation here headcount you know do we you know is there is there a potential opportunity here to to perhaps go you know more for outsourcing you know, to, to perhaps keep headcount down and look at ways of, 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 of perhaps, you know, looking more towards, you know, third party, third party service providers, you know, be it for AI or be it for, you know, value, valuations or, or other, other such, other such um, services. Um, I do think, I do think, you know, we will probably all look towards um, better ways of keeping connected with investors and you know looking at investment opportunities and again coming back to your travel point whilst there will fundamentally still be a need to travel and, and meet people face to face I'm, you know i do wonder whether you know social platforms could be another another sort of forum for you know to you know for for, for communication to to continue to, to to develop you know for that for that connectivity so these are these are some of the things that i've been thinking about in terms of you know how how um, you know the lockdown might accelerate the use of technology. I mean, I do think there are there are other areas where you know where we could all focus, be it from a finance department perspective, or you know more you know deal doing invest you know from the investment side. You know, just just personally, I've been thinking about you know the man you know something that Raj just touched on on on, on payment technology. I mean, you know, in our in our organisation, you know, getting through you know payments is such a manual process and. I'd like, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to see more investment in technology such as payment tech to, to, you know, to find ways of, you know, generating efficiency. Just, just again, just to make sure that from an operations perspective, it's, it's more seamless, it's a bit more slick, um, you know. And then just coming back to my original point on revenue generation, you know, I think, I think there, there's certainly going to be, you know, opportunities here to, to perhaps look at digit, digitalization, um, you know, for value creation opportunities. Um, you know, again, just the, the use of tech more generally. I think we're all going to be focused on 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 ways to you know ways to improve. And just as we've you know we've seen over the last 10, 15 years, this huge you know increase in in the use of te technology, and certain firms are ahead of others. I think that that trend will will certainly continue with particularly with the large amounts of data that we're having to you know um, analyze you know generated by portfolio companies. Okay. Raj, really interesting. Um, sorry, Neil, really interesting there. And I, I think you've you've sketched out, you know, some of the possibilities for for how how working within private equity and indeed generally could could change. Um, 
Raj, if I could come come to you on this. If it, so let's assume that, that remote working does become more spread. Uh, there's less time in the office. Um, there's more reliance on, on, on technology to, to allow people to work remotely. Um, what happens on the cybersecurity front? I know I've seen a couple of surveys which have shown a huge spike in cybersecurity crime. And I imagine if you are a manager with um, very valuable data belonging to investors and portfolio companies, you need to be especially careful. You know, what should managers be thinking about if they are, if they have seen the possibility of accelerating remote working, you know, post COVID-19? Well, thanks, Nicholas. Um, this is a great question because PE firms reacting to the disruptions caused by COVID-19 will primarily and rightly so be focusing on, I would say, four key areas. So understanding the impact on their portfolio, having regular and more communication with investors, um, ensuring adequate cash flow to meet their portfolio needs, and of course, maintaining operational uh, within a work, remote workforce. But at the same time, as you say, PE firms should also be concerned about potential increased cyber, cyber attacks. Um, I strongly believe that this new remote working environment poses quite a few operational challenges to PE firms, um, and this includes data and information security. So how are staff accessing company data in a secure way? and also the use of different types of communication technologies. So how are staff communicating with one another, but more importantly, how they're communicating with outside of the organization. So one of the key points I would say about good cybersecurity at any firm is not just about the IT firm that looks after you. It's also actually making sure it's everyone, everyone's job. And it starts at the board level. So this is really important because I think any form of data breach is likely to not just impact uh, productivity, but also potential lawsuits or fines, and not to mention the reputational damage that it could cause. Therefore, the risk of not implementing a solid cybersecurity plan um, is just too high. So one of the key areas I believe that GPs and LPs have been focusing on over the last few years um, is looking at capital calls and use of technology, for example. So over the years, many GPs have moved away from sending capital call notices uh, from emails and to now moving towards data rooms with secure access. When I was speaking to one investor a couple of weeks ago, they mentioned to me that a hacker tried to replace a capital call notice that one GP had sent to them uh, with a set of Mexican bank details. Of course, that arose suspicion to that investor because that GP was actually based in Luxembourg. So it's really just making sure everyone's a bit more vigilant in this kind of new working environment. And if I can just talk about some of the practical areas that firms should be thinking about is Classic, classic examples will be around changing passwords on a regular basis, because passwords are obviously the first line of defense against cyber criminals. Um, authentication, so making sure staff accessing company data in a secure way and enabling some form of multi-factor authentication as a minimum. So for example, what we do at 17 Capital is staff only able to access the company's server and emails with one, the Windows password, and two, having a further code generated from their work phones. We should also think about having more staff training, so making sure that staff are aware of these types of cybersecurity cyber incidents and how to protect the company data. Um, so what we've been doing at 70 Capital again is looking at doing phishing tests and um, staff training around, around these areas. Okay. And whatever, uh, just a few, few other areas of, uh, notes I just want to mention around investors as well. So investors are also asking a lot more questions around um, cybersecurity as part of the fundraise, fundraising process. Uh, so around staff training and awareness, how often that, that's been done, phishing tests, pen tests, uh, remote working, how, how, does, how that's been managed. So again, there's a lot more awareness from the investors as well. Okay, yeah. Uh, quickly, Barnaby, just, uh, do you have any observations on, on, the, on the cybersecurity point, uh, specifically of, of firms generally on top of it? Um, or, or has, you know, the, the sort of sudden lockdown and remote working uh, focused minds, if I can put it that way? Yeah, no, I, I think, you know, to be fair, I mean, most of our clients have got a pretty good handle on, on, on the cyber security angle, both, both themselves as a GP, but, but also across the portfolio. We've seen a lot of firms going through cyber security audits with the portfolio and putting their own firms through, um, you know, as, uh, as, as Roger was saying, like pen tests and things like that and the phishing campaigns. So, so I, I think firms are generally in, a, in a, around the sort of cybersecurity point. I, I think firms are in pretty good shape on that. 
Okay, that's good to hear. And then obviously sounds like they're well prepared to go into lockdown, certainly on, 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 on that side of things, which I'm yeah. sure is, is reassuring for, for all their stakeholders. Um, okay, I just wanted to come back to, to Justin and Hugh um, and wonder if they had sort of any observations when we look at how private equity's uptake and use of technology compares to, to other alternative asset classes. Um, Justin, maybe if I could come to you first with, the, with, with one question around this topic. Um, when you compare the pace of uptake of, of digital tools by, by private equity with other alternative managers, and you know, how's private equity shaping up? Is, is it up the curve? Is it behind the curve? Is it generally in line? Um, you know, what is your assessment on, on private equity specifically when it comes to, to use of tech? Sure, thanks, Nicholas. Well, I think if we, if we think about it from a private fund manager or private equity fund manager perspective, I think PE is reasonably uh, ahead of the curve when you against say real estate debt or, or ironically venture capital uh, at the fund management level. And I think the reasons for that really come down to the risks that are being managed. So in a private equity context where you have uh, relatively more leverage at the portfolio company level, you know, it's not unheard of to have four to six X leverage, uh, debt leverage on a portfolio company in PE Whereas in the real estate space, you're unlikely to get those kinds of levels of, uh, of leverage against assets and venture capital, uh, by definition, often can't uh, lever up because there aren't uh, enough cash flows to, to do so. So um, I think to monitor covenants and portfolio company performance in a leveraged environment, PE, I think, is, is reasonably uh, along the curve to monitor those risks. Uh, I think all the PE managers that, that we talk to and our clients tend to invest first in the front office area. So whether it's fundraising and CRM tools to manage investor LP relationships, recognizing the, the role technology can play with investors. Um, and then obviously to manage fundraising uh, has definitely been an area of investment. And then to some extent on the deal side, so managing using CRM to track deals and track those proprietary opportunities to try to create value in the portfolio side by creating, by using technology to to ultimately source more deals independently of, of standard auction processes, something that we see uh, has been invested in over the last five years. The one area that I think is getting a bit more attention now is post-deal uh, monitoring. So portfolio monitoring, I think to the Barnaby's points before around uh, technology for real-time monitoring and giving access to not only the, the front back office of the P firm, but to investors um, is, is probably the next area where we see more investment coming now to, to track the portfolio. Uh, very interesting, Justin. Thank you. Um, Hugh, again, is interested in your thoughts and, and also maybe just to put a slightly different slant on the same question. Um, does the the size of the manager or, or the geography of the manager come into it at all? Will you see different uptake or different levels of sophistication if you do filter for, for size or, or geography? I think there's always going to be uh, differences uh, differences between the size of fund managers and how that sort of um, sort of shows itself in terms of operations and, and technology uh, just because of you know um, economies of scale you know generally you know private equity firms are fairly lean organizations even if they're um, big in, in, in the industry in terms of name and uh, uh, prestige but um, yeah I think I think it's easier for large, larger fund managers to implement this, perhaps a, a portfolio monitoring uh, software or a CRM system themselves, whereas for smaller managers, it might be um, a pretty big undertaking uh, and a huge cost uh, and also a lot of time and resources, which could be better spent uh, actually doing the deals. But I think in the long term, I, I think we're finding um, irrelevant of the size people are now starting to look at technology and how they can like utilize it for um analysis on their current portfolios and also for future investments um so i i, I tend to see that large larger fund managers are doing things implementing software um themselves in-house whereas the sort of um, mid to small size fund managers are actually looking to outsource um this rather than having to build it themselves. So I think there's definitely that uh, that um, play in the market. Also in terms of geography, um, whether you like it or not, a lot of um, 
you know, a lot of the tr trends that we see do normally stem from, from the US and then move eastwards from there. And again, from this uh, uh, perspective, I think uh, the US, both the LPs and the GPs have been early adopters of technology. Um, you know, I think uh, Rajan was mentioning about carry modeling. Uh, we're seeing a lot of LPs uh, trying to utilize technology as much as possible to help with their carry modeling for the investments they do into the funds. However, saying that, you know, in Asia, um, we're getting a lot of interest in our investor solutions um, offering uh, where fund managers, you know, want to get a, a better analysis um, on the underlying companies. Uh, and uh, and so, you know, I think, I think it's just a general trend within the market, to be honest. I, I suppose, you know, unlike hedge funds where, you know, often technology has been integral to sort of outperforming their peers, that's not necessarily the case with private equity. Um, so perhaps that sort of um, had a, a bit of um, some sort of history and sort of uh, effect on, on utilization of technology in the past. But as I said, as the asset class is becoming more and more mainstream, um, you know, so has the sophistication of utilizing technology. Yeah. Uh Huge to follow up there. Are, are there any particular areas where you've been surprised at the lack of uptake of technology, if, if, if that makes sense at all? Sort of anything that you've noticed where, where you have been a bit surprised? Yeah, uh, you know, the, the technology has been there for, for some time uh, uh, in terms of being able to do analysis on their portfolio. But I think you, you might have the best um, software uh, available uh, and there's certainly a lot of software in the market for fund managers to choose from and indeed LPs but unless you have um, the the data to go into that software uh, unless that you know it has to be consistent and it has to you have to get that and then we're not talking about publicly um, uh, accessible information private equity investing into private companies maybe family-run companies but uh, you know, in the past. And I think gathering that data has been a big hurdle uh, and has probably prevented people using technology because you still have to get that, uh, that information. And that can be quite manual, uh, uh, manual intensive. So you're having to rely on people to gather that information, also chase the underlying uh, uh, management uh, teams of those companies. And, you know, the The consistency and the quality of that data regions. Um, so I think that's been a big hurdle um, for, for people. And I do think perhaps um, it's also been a bit difficult because a lot of the service providers haven't really looked at this as, as a sort of service offering. And we've maybe been a bit slow uh, to, to provide this to the, to, the, to the industry. So people have thought, well, the only way available to, for them is to buy the software. But as I said, that really is only half the equation. Um, and then you've also got the issues with is the visualization tool and platform that you might be looking uh, to, to uh, utilize, does that, can that interface with your back office uh, accounting systems? Um, and there, again, there needs to be some sort of manual input or some type of project management work around that, which again, can be quite um, labor intensive and therefore can be quite expensive depending on what sort of information you're looking to capture. Uh, Hugh, thanks. Really interesting. Um, um, I know, was, was hoping to ask a few more questions around this topic, but, but time is, is moving swiftly on. Um, so I'd just like to move on to, to another point, and, and this is something that, that both Justin and Hugh have alluded to, and, it, and it's the, the point around how uh, GPs are, are using um, private equity as part of their strategic execution rather than just as an operation, operational tool. Um, Barney, if, if I could come back to you, we've spoken about technology's impact on, on transforming the back office of the GP, but what about the front office? Um, Justin and Hugh have sketched out, you know, some of the tools using a CRM or, you know, as, a, as an origination tool or, or some of the portfolio management uh, analytics platforms that are available. Um, what have you observed with respect to how GPs are using either data analytics, um, artificial intelligence, you name it, to you know to almost help them with their core function of of, of sourcing and perhaps even executing deals? Is there any evidence of of some of these tools being used, or are we you know a long way from from that actually happening? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think just before we come on to the AI point and the and and, and sort of data analytics and machine mm. learning, I mean, I, I think I think that's kind of running before you can walk. Um, right. I, I mean, I, I think you know one of the interesting things that's fallen out of the COVID nineteen crisis is you know a lot of firms out there were very resistant to using tools like um, Teams and Zoom and Slack, and there was kind of minimal uptake in the front office. And I think this whole the whole COVID nineteen crisis has really forced people. Um, to actually, you know, start using internal messaging, start using Teams and Slack. Um, the other thing that's particularly weak in the in the investment teams and front office is is controlled workflow and document management. Um, and and so now we are seeing firms that are, you know having to put SharePoint in place or other document management systems so they can get things more structured and more organised because you know everyone's all over the place. So I think we are seeing we we are seeing some kind of forced changes uh, in, in in the investment teams and, and how they operate, and I think that's that's really good, and it brings structure to the data. I think to the point Hugh is raising, you know, so much of the data that that, that GPs have in there for, for if you like for deal sourcing and deal doing and everything else, it's all in spreadsheets and word documents. I mean, you you, you aren't going to be you aren't going to be able to do very good analytics or leverage AI or leverage machine learning while everything's in, in Word documents, spreadsheets and, and, and people's email boxes. So so I think there's a long way, um, there's a long way to go before uh, investment teams are set up and, and are structured properly and are storing data properly that over time they can then, you know, combine their own data with, you know, if you like other, other data that's available to, to get some meaningful insights. Um, we, we have seen some firms out there, um, you know, trying to, to sort of, use their CRM data and their CRM systems and combine that with multiple sources, you know, like companies house data, fact set data, et cetera. So we are seeing firms out there that are trying to figure out the relationships they have, figure out you know, companies that are perhaps outperforming others within, within certain um, sector focuses. I, I just think, yeah, you know, I, I don't think there's been anything come out of those exercises that's really, really meaningful. Um, so I, again, I think we're a way off there, but I mean, all I would say is that things are heading in the, in, in the right direction. Um, but right now I think it's about better quality reporting, better quality MI. It is a little bit about data and analytics. It's about serving investors. It's less about using AI and machine learning to improve your, um, either your investor, uh, your investment process or, or some people looking at trying to improve their fundraising capabilities. Okay, really, really interesting, Barnaby. So, so it sounds like still a still a long way to go. Um, but maybe if I could just come back to to Raj and Neil, and maybe Raj first. Um, obviously, there's still still a long way to go, as, as Barnaby uh, outlined. But but have you considered or, or looked at you know the way any way that that data analytics or, or AI could could help you in your deal origination or, or valuation? Um, you know anything about the you know the core function of of a of an alternative asset manager. Um, is there anything you've seen that's caught your imagination or attention? Yeah, thank you, Nicholas. I definitely agree with what Barney said around larger B has is starting to think about using AI and other tools to support the investment process. And that's probably because they've probably got huge amounts of resources to dedicate, dedicate. and they'll probably have larger teams as well, um, larger tech-based teams. I still think most firms, say below five or ten billion. US dollars AUM will still rely on traditional methods to generate deal flow, just like us. We'll still be using um, Excel and other other tools to support us with deal flow. I don't think we'll be using anything more creative than that anytime soon. Great, thanks, Reg. Uh, Neil, I wondered what, from your point of view, is there anything that maybe you're not using just yet, or not something you'll be using in in, in the near to medium term? But anything that you've looked at that you've thought it you know has potential and and, and could be a long term um, you know tool that, that that may come into the industry more. Yeah, thanks, Nicholas. I think you know um, similar views to Barnaby and and Raj just there. I think you know we hear a lot about AI and machine learning, and they seem to be quite you know buzzwords at the moment. But I think I think we are you know some way off. But we do hear of um, you know certain. Um, private sector firms out there at the larger end where they do have dedicated teams. Um, they're using AI techniques in, um, you know, in due diligence to map and analyze large volumes of data, you know, perhaps to, you know, compare to peers or develop insights into value creation such as ESG. Um, but I do think 
another area um, and related related to this is is perhaps before you know firms you know invest in their own AI capability that they may before we get there be more of a reliance on third party um, AI specialists or AI providers where they're providing you know similar activities um, to to all of those that I've just described um, you know and, and perhaps you know in the interim there may be an opportunity to to leverage off some of that capability um, you know over the next over the coming months years you know before sort of investing in in sort of in-house capability okay neil thank you so it's obviously a, a a long way to go but but it looks like third parties could could provide a a pathway to get there um okay i just wanted to remind everybody who who's joined the the broadcast this afternoon there is an opportunity to to ask questions so there should be the functionality on the on the webinar uh, application to send questions through so so please do do send uh, anything over we've got a great panel lots of expertise so this is a good chance to to pick their brains um but i had one question be before we go to the audience and and this perhaps comes back to some of the points that that barnaby raj and and neil and indeed justin and hugh have have also mentioned um and it's around um how the interface between people and technology moves as technology becomes increasingly powerful um, with greater capability. Um, you know, is there still a long-term role for people or, 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 you know, in 20, 30, 40 years, however long it might be, could we see deals, due diligence, fundraising completely automated? Um, if we don't go that far, will we see people in private equity um, you know, doing different kinds of things or focusing their time in different ways to to what they're doing now. So, lots of questions there, uh, Justin. I know you've you've got some interesting thoughts on here on on this. I know we've spoken about this before. Um, you know, what do you think that where do you think the interface is is moving between people and tech, and and how does the kind of work or where people spend their time change in 15 to 20 you know 20 years time however long it is sure maybe two two things come to mind uh, mm -hmm. uh, on this one nicholas i think the first is obviously technology is just an enabler but i think the extent to which technology has penetrated the private assets or private fund spaces is still pretty pretty new pretty early in that journey and there are ways that technology could free up whether it's robotic process automation uh, or analysis or preparation of analysis that really frees up um, you know, back and middle office staff at fund management companies to, to add more value and spend more time doing work with the analysis than say preparing the analysis, whether it's cash flow forecasting or liquidity reports and so on. That those things, there's a lot of time spent preparing reports and technology can be a, a way of creating those things in the first place to free up time for the analysis. Um, I think in, in 20, 30 years time, I think we'd like to see, well, maybe even less, less time than that, what we'd like to see is uh, more of a shift from back office to what we call the central hub. So fund managers, uh, back offices and, and finance teams being treated as the central team, not sort of a, a back office unit in, in sort of like the back of a dark cupboard of a shop, but really the central hub in the middle of the, of the shop floor where people come to for data because Technology could be a very important way that helps portfolios, portfolio companies, and the deal professionals who run those portfolio companies to, to optimize the financial performance of those firms. Whether it's improving their ESG, saving money through ESG, or just better, um, better management of cash, or other ways of indeed applying technology at the portfolio company level to improve EBITDA, there are significant ways in which technology could help finance teams contribute to actually the profitability of the underlying portfolio companies and more value to the firm by being that central hub in our view. Really interesting, Justin. Uh, Neil, I was, I was interested in, in, in your thoughts on that, especially that, that last point that Justin made about how the finance function goes from the, you know, the back corner of the office into you know, central to to value creation and, and strategy execution. And is that something that chimes with you? Is that how you see things um, evolving? 
Yes, absolutely. I think you know technology is there to to you know as Justin said, it's an enabler. It will improve efficiency. I think you know over the years we'll probably see a shift in you know the the skill set that we're seeking when we're recruiting you know finance professionals or you know mid off middle office professionals. Um, you know, because at the end of the day, you know, you know, we the whilst whilst there needs to be you know a clear joining up of the dots from the back office through to the front office and you know some of what Justin has just talked about in terms of analysis in terms of you know adding value you know whether it's you know through better management of cash or you know under like you know look through portfolio company um, analyses you know at, at the end of the day technology is, is going to enhance and 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 I can I certainly see you know that you know us moving to you know in that in that particular direction so you know we're you know so then it does become more about revenue generation and, and focusing on 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 how to you know increase the increase the you know both the top line and the bottom line okay raj i know you you've you've put it quite nicely it's almost uh, technology has gone from uh you know something that that's in the cost line into something that's an investment in your you know the the delivery of your your strategy so i i'm guessing that sort of what justin and and, and neil have have said would would sort of align with, with with how you see things yeah absolutely i mean if you think about 10 years ago most firms were probably still thinking that technology is in a expense environment um you, you wouldn't have a dedicated technology department for example um but what, what we are seeing now is more people or more more firms starting to think about employing tech related people and having that as a core function within the firm sitting alongside finance hr and marketing as one of the back office functions i would say Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Um, here, if I could come to you, same question. Um, I mean, I guess you're, you're living this day to day and you probably see sort of firsthand how, how roles within an organization change when, when new technology is, is installed or, or made use of. Um, how do you see things um, evolving and, and, and how does the skill set that, that organizations in private equity want from their people change as technology develops? Um, so I think, yeah, I think I'll be, I'll be pretty much um, repeating a lot of what the guys are saying. I think a lot of, uh, there's been a lot more uh, skill sets required from a private equity firm, which let's say, you know, comparing 10, 15 years ago, I think you've got to have, um, you know, uh, someone who's got to be tech savvy, whether that's a um, an individual or, or a, a team, it just depends on the size and scale of, of, the, of the fund manager and indeed also for the, for the LPs as well. So I think there's going to be a, a broader spectrum of, of skill sets um, because you're then going to have to have uh, potentially people to train uh, employees up on this, uh, especially if there's going to be a lot more, um, you know, remote working from home uh, and you know, different hours, etc. So I think um, yeah, you will see a, um, uh, I think, a, a broader spectrum of, of skill sets, definitely in the, in the PE sector. Okay, and uh, Barnaby, if I could come, come to you to, to close on this one before we go to, to audience questions. And, and audience, please do keep them coming in. We have had some through, so thank you for those, but uh, do keep them coming in. Um, Barnaby, when you've worked on projects in the past, let's, let's not look too far in the future, um, you know, where do you notice things uh, changing? Are, are there any particular patterns that you see um, with respect to to how firms change or evolve when they when they do make a big investment in in, in tech infrastructure? Um, yeah, I mean, I I I just got a couple of points to to raise on this that that um, so, sort of answer your question, but in line with, with what you asked originally. I mean, I, I think there's a couple of, one thing at firm level and one thing at industry level, that, that, or two things really that need to change as we move into the future. I mean, for you know, your average GP or, or, or investment firms have got to move away from their reliance on Excel. Um, and, and obviously, pe you know, the people associated with that reliance. And so they, there needs to be a move towards investing in decent operational systems. There needs to be new technology that comes along to solve some of the complexity problems so i think <clears throat> firms have just got to recognize the investments that's needed the investment that's needed to move away from excel and get data into a more structured um and format for them to then use for ongoing purposes i think secondarily the industry's got to figure out how are they going to be able to you know we're still sending you know 
GPs are still sending PDF, you know, they're producing PDF documents and sending them to LPs and then LPs are taking PDF documents and typing numbers into systems. It's completely ridiculous. So there's got to be a way of, at an industry level of improving, um, you know, the, the sort of the exchange of data, if you like, between GPs and LPs as well. And that's something that over the next five to 10 years really has to happen when you compare ourselves to, to other um, sort of sectors, you know, other financial services sectors. Okay, Barnaby, thank you. Um, okay, uh, we've got a bit of time for, for some questions. Uh, we've got five minutes until we'll, we'll, we'll look to close. Um, so Hugh, there's one that's come in for you. Uh, I know in one of your answers earlier, you were sketching out various solutions for, uh, for portfolio reporting. Um, uh, if that one of those systems or ideas were to be implemented, how could ESG be incorporated into reporting to LPs you know, via a, a tech-enabled platform, I, I guess, is the, the sense I'm getting from this question. So I think, yeah, this, this, what we found with um, the COVID-19 crisis at the moment is that actually, although we, we initially thought perhaps, um, you know, the ESG trend, and it's been a huge, a huge trend, uh, uh, you know, which is getting a, a lot of coverage um, and attention from fund managers and investors, you know, my initial reaction with the COVID-19 crisis was I think I thought people would be sort of batting down the hatches and sort of concentrating on, on the sort of risk exposure and performance uh, impact uh, of the crisis on their uh, current portfolio. What we have found is actually ESG is still, um, still very much at the sort of forefront of people's minds, especially the S in ESG, uh, when you've got, you know, um, almost a sort of, potential power struggle between sort of shareholders and performance of the companies and obviously the welfare of employees, etc. So uh, that's really come to the fore for the moment. Um, you know, so with our, with, with, with anything, you, as long as we have the data, we can capture that. In fact, we're, we're actually releasing a ESG dashboard as a sort of uh, extra module to our IQEQ Cosmos platform. So um, to track that, I think the issue is though, you know, there could, as an LP, you could have so many different data points for uh, ESG um, because a P mid-market fund manager might have tracked completely different uh, ESG data points to an infrastructure or a real estate fund manager. So um, I think it's it's being that sort of disciplined in exactly what is the ESG data you're looking for, what are you trying to capture, and then just sort of hone down onto those onto those uh, pertinent data points. But it's definitely been a trend and it will continue to be a trend uh, going forward. Okay, Hugh, thank you. Certainly, I think... Um the ESG metrics um, to to be standardised. That that's a whole other other webinar. <laughs> no, so we'll, yeah. <laughs> we'll we'll stay out of that. We'll stay away from that rabbit hole for now. But certainly, very interesting point, and, and maybe it's something we can we can schedule at another time. Okay, we've got a few more minutes, um, and just a, a couple more questions have come through. Um, one about blockchain. Um, how widespread or not is it in in the private equity asset class? And um, what are some of its applications in a, in a private equity setting? Uh, I, I don't know if anybody would, would be able to take that one. Uh, Justin, maybe, or, or perhaps Barnaby, but first come, first serve. Anyone keen to take that yeah, one? Yeah, we've only ever seen, I, I forget which administrator it was. I think, uh, I can't remember now, but um, I think Unigestion did a pilot with uh, and USS and Unigestion did pilots um, around using blockchain in and around their partnership accounting or, or their fund admin. But, I, I don't think anything's really come of that um, in terms of having distributed ledgers and things like that. So I, I'm not sure. We, we certainly don't see any of the other mainstream vendors out there investing in blockchain as some part of a future strategy. Um, so yeah, nothing to add from us there. Yeah, the only thing I would add is uh, I, I won't uh, I won't name the administrator, of course, but uh, I, I know I know who I was referring to. Uh, it, it, was, it was received with a lot of fanfare, and I suppose blockchain has promise in, in the PE space for really two main areas. Uh, the first is the LP, the partnership accounts, because there's a lot of reconciliation that goes on and reporting and exchanging information between LPs and GPs around what the balances are of amounts drawn down through the various capital account balances. And, and having that in a distributed ledger, so you don't have that sort of separate records, but a central distributed ledger has, has on paper a lot of promise, but hasn't really despite those initial trials, hasn't really seemed to have taken off in terms of being adopted. But I do think taking a five-year view, it has a lot of scope 
the other area that um, has been looked at in a bit more detail is post AIFMD, that in the depository world, um, the custody of assets. So what not replacing the sort of listed, listed equities area where clearly there's a lot of application, but in the PE space also trying to apply it around custody of assets to verify and maintain registers of assets in a blockchain solution. It, it's, it would remove some of the aspects like, um, like you see around audit confirmations of portfolio company assets where you know, the idea of sending a, a letter uh, signed by an FD to a company to say, can you confirm that you actually hold these shares in, in this company? Is it, it, it's a kind of application that could, uh, could um, be disrupted through blockchain. And, and the third area that I think is actually being used more is actually around smart contracts and using things like signatizers as, as we are around signatures and documents and smart contracts like Ethereum, where we've seen some application of that in this space, because uh, that's just got a very sort of quick and practical application. I think like all of these new technologies, we need to find a, a really quick and useful way of applying it. So it's not just a sort of theoretical um, uh, opportunity. Uh, Justin, thank you so much. And I think that that final sentence really sums up um, a, a lot of what we've been discussing this afternoon. Um, okay, so so we're running to an hour. So I think we'll we'll wrap it there. And that just leaves me to say a huge thank you to, to all of you who, who've joined us this afternoon. Thank you for your time and, and attention. Um, and a big thank you to, to our guests this afternoon, uh, Neil Meter, Rajin Shah, Barnaby Piggott, Hugh Stacey, and Justin Partington. Thank you all and good afternoon.